0: All right, the first scripture tonight is in Habakkuk and then we're going to spend some time in um, the New Testament but this is a really interesting passage so if you're new to the study we began last week and that the the theme is identity that's what we're that is what we have been discussing so as we think about identity if you look at the terms here in, in the notes tonight does anybody else need to set a Else, just quickly put your hand up. Yeah, hold that hand up high. you can't, yep, can't see if you don't hold it up. Okay. So, when we talk about identity, what we are looking at, and if you look at the definition of the terms here, we are defining identity as the deepest idea of who you are, the story that you tell yourself about yourself. It's usually validated by two voices. There's the internal voice. This is what I think about myself. And then there's an external voice. This is what other people say about me. Now we'll talk more about that in weeks to come, but that's kind of a working definition. Steve, Steve, I need just the littlest bit of ring. If you could take my mic down, I mean just the tiniest bit down, not too much. There we go. All right. So. Yeah, that ring would drive me nuts all night. So we're good now. So thinking about this identity, who do who inside? Who do I think of myself as? And then externally, what do other people say about me? And we talked a lot, a lot last week about how people move through these identity crisis moments in life, under, understanding themselves, and that the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about this. So let's read this this ver, this. Passage, it's from the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Now, obviously, the context of the verse is speaking about the nation of Israel and really a national identity. But I want you just to think of maybe one thing that how this would relate to you and I. Okay? So we're going to have a quick discussion on that as we start. So we'll read this passage, and then I'm going to ask just for a quick participation on how this relates to identity in our lives. So Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, whoever's pronunciation you prefer, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Yeah? Although, correct, yeah. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. Now, you've got to remember, this is an agrarian society. So, we don't think a whole lot about... how are your Anybody in here, how are your fig trees doing right now? Okay, Or your olive grove? How's it going? So, you've got to put yourself into another place, and another time, in another culture. The fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there, shall no, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Now apparently this was a song. This is given to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. What does this tell us about identity? Just really quick. We'll, we'll dive deeper as we go into the lesson. But what does this have to do with this whole theme of what we're talking about? Go ahead and take a minute and look at it again. What's happening in the, what's happening in the nation of Israel in this passage, in this prophecy? What's going on there? Is this good or bad? It's definitely a bad time. Yeah. Mimi, your hand was up. What were you... Everything was
1: failing and not producing, but yet they were
0: still rejoicing in the Lord, even because of the failure. They still yeah. things. Even despite, like, everything is going wrong, like, wouldn't that cause you to, like, nationally, obviously, there's going to be a major identity crisis. Like, what is our nation, like, everything we're trying to do, everything that's important to us, our production, the yield of our crops, it's all completely failing. But, he says, you still need to rejoice because you have God. The Lord is my strength. And so rather than the nation placing their worth and their value, because isn't identity a lot about our view of our own worth and our own value? Like, I am valuable because I this, or I am valuable because people think of me this way, because I do this. This, this. My identity is wrapped up in my value of who I am, because I'm a parent, because I'm a professional, because... I have good looks because I have skills because I have money. All of these things that are external identity validators, if they're all lost, could you still have hope and joy because you have a solid identity, not in who you say you are, not in who other people say you are, but in who God says you are and in your relationship with God? That's what this is about. Now, the title of the message, the lesson is Splinterville. Now, for my Spanish-speaking ladies, I tried my best to to, uh, tr- to get the right Google Translate. So I think I just put in Splinter Town. I don't know if it worked or not. It's good. It's good. So, you know, Google Translate, so I'm like, how in the world are they going to translate Splinterville? So we went with uh, Splinter Town. Um, it's like, what is he talking about? Well, you'd have to read the book. And of course, this, this, um, this, this series is a biblical series, but it's put together by Carrie Schmidt in a in a wonderful book called stop trying I'd recommend you get it and read it along with this study but he uses the example of balsa wood now don't put the picture up yet Steve be ready who knows what balsa wood is okay now if not how many of you have ever seen or you remember one of these you remember this now when I was a kid uh, they used to give these away in Sunday school all right this was like to me the ultimate prize you could possibly win in Sunday school right it, this was where it was at it's a balsa wood airplane now, if you know anything about the properties of balsa wood it's super pliable it's super uh, you can make anything out of it. its lightweight it'll fly it also floats right you can make balsa wood planes that'll fly and you can make balsa wood boats that will float but what else do we know about the balsa wood it can be very effective it can look really good but what else do we know about it yeah, it's it's super fragile it's super fragile so that airplane if you were to hold that you had to be really careful when you wound it up you had to be really careful when you adjusted the wings because if not it would just splinter it would just break it would fall apart how many of you, if I said, now, that plane is really good. Now, if we constructed a life-size operable plane or boat out of that balsa wood, how many of you would get in that vessel, right? You wouldn't, but it flies, but it goes, but it works. The point is you can create something that will fly a little little ways or float a little ways, but is it sure enough where you will place your identity into it, where you'll put your trust in it? That's what we talk about when we talk about human, man-made identities. They don't last. Basing your life on your own opinion of, uh, my own opinion of myself or others or some external thing, it's not going to hold up. And so what we do now for the rest of this, uh, this lesson tonight is in this chapter, we actually focus on one particular Bible character and his name is Peter. Oh, wait, there's one quote I wanted to give you. If you have time to jot this down, this was really good. This was from C.S. Lewis, and he quotes C.S. Lewis in the book. He says this, if you're having a hard time really wrapping your mind around this identity thing, let me put it, let's see what C.S. Lewis said. Do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Do not let your happiness depend on Depend on something you may lose. What are things in this life that we may lose? Kind of a, kind of a money, yeah, I heard that. Friends. Friends, family, health, home. Boy, it sounds like just about everything. Everything in this life is something you can lose. So how could you say don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose because the message of Jesus, the message of the Bible, is that there is something that tra- there is someone and there is another world that transcends this world. Yes? And I think the opposite of that
1: is true as well. Don't let your happiness depend on something you might gain.
0: Yeah. Because... Right, like something out there in the future. Once I achieve this, because whatever you gain, you then also by definition could lose. Or
1: you gain all the you
0: work to get it and that's that's what is about right yeah you get it and then you say well what was now what, now what? I mean, there's a famous interview with uh just google it there's a famous interview from maybe 10 or 15 years ago with tom brady where he talks about that very thing about now that he achieved it where he literally says in the interview there's got to be something more after he had i forget how many rings it was really really interesting So think about the disciples. Some of you know a lot about the disciples. Others of you may not know much about them at all. We've actually spoken about them the last two weeks in our morning services. The disciples went through a dramatic identity transformation, didn't they? Think about it. Think about, let's just, let's talk today just about one, probably the most famous, because he's the most colorful of all of the disciples, And that's Peter if you've ever felt like the kind of Christian that just messes this thing up all the time then Peter's your guy all right because he was on this radical identity transformation that Jesus brought him through and he kept messing up but the good thing is remember there are no Bible heroes that's a misnomer there are no Bible heroes we grow up with this idea we sometimes teach it to children that these are heroes of the Bible now, in one way, I, 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 it is appropriate. But really, all the quote-unquote Bible heroes are just weak men and women that have faith in a great God. The, hero, the, the only heroism is that they trusted God, that they believed him, and that God did something through them. They weren't perfect people. They were deeply, deeply flawed. Let's think about how Peter's identity was formed. Jot down maybe in your margin as we, st- before we, as we get into Peter's balsa wood identity. Peter's balsa wood identity. What you know about Peter, let's think about from the very earliest days of his life, how his identity would begin to be formed. In fact, let's bring it home a little bit. How was your identity first formed? Your identity is first formed through what? Your parents. How else? In a natural sense, you're, your sense of yourself is, you're going to have it through your family. So maybe, well, let's say maybe your natural abilities that start to appear as a child. How about your, your, where you're from, the type of people that you're, you are from, whether that's ethnically or culturally or whatever. All these things are human identity markers. So how did Peter start out? Where was he from? Where was he from? Anybody know? Where was Peter from? <laughs> You're like, I know this, but I don't know this. Galilee. Galilee. He's from Galilee. Now what did what did now was Galilee a well populated area? No. no, it's kind of a backwoods place. The the important prominent people didn't live in Galilee, they lived closer to they lived in Jerusalem. So so that's an identity marker. He, as he begins in his life, he's a Galilean. And then I done I heard you say something else. As he grows, he starts to develop His other identity as a as a fisherman, as a fisherman. Now, how does he do as a fisherman, do we assume? Pretty well. He's got a successful fishing operation. Mm -hmm. He's got a partner. That would be his brother, Andrew. He's even got some colleagues that it seems as if they worked together. Sometimes they had a joint fishing venture. That would be James. And John, the sons of Zebedee, so the, he's part of this this uh, this community. He's part of this. Is who he is. And don't men tend to start to build a lot of their identity upon what they do, right? And and I'm not I, I'm I'm not speaking that women don't. I don't really know because I'm not a woman. I'm a man, so I know that men they. Um, they, they build a lot of their identity around what they do and what they achieve. And there's, there's um, Peter, and he's a fisherman. And then one day he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, do what? Put down, your, put down your nets, because from now on you're going to fish for men. But I want you to think about this. Put yourself in the mind of Peter in this day, His expectations of Jesus, he's a Galilean, he was a Galilean fisherman, but now he's a follower of Jesus. But how would he have defined that at first? What are some ways he would have described himself? What do you think? What is his expectation of what this means to follow Jesus? Who is he now in identity? Yeah. I think there's a lot more to it. Like as a friend, who do they? Who do these disciples think Jesus is? And rightly so, they think he's what? The Messiah. They think he's the Messiah. And what do they believe with all their heart he is about to do? Die on a cross. Did anybody think he was going to die on a cross? Usher in the kingdom. What did that mean? Usher in the kingdom sounds so. You're right, but it sounds so spiritual. It sounds.
1: He probably believed that Jesus was going to free them from the Romans. Yeah.
0: Jesus is going to free them from the Romans. And in fact, they're going, to, they're going to have an argument about who's going to sit on this side or that side. So, so he doesn't view himself as a follower of a nomadic teacher. He's not a spiritualist monk traveling through the wilderness. He's gone from Galilean fisherman, really, to revolutionary. You think that's wrong? I mean, they're going to change the whole world order. There's going to be a new king. I am now part of something big, something epic. And so, and you see this, this is not a stretch, because in the conversations you see the disciples having, this is how they started to see themselves. These are pretty profound insights, right? Really makes you think, and so I'm enjoying this study. So let's think about the problems with this, and there's some scriptures that go along with it. Peter believed that Jesus was going to fulfill his dream. You see that in the notes? Peter believed that Jesus would fulfill his dreams. Look at some scriptures that go with this. I think Steve's got them ready. Matthew 20 and 21. This, is, this was a conversation one of the disciples' moms had with, um, had with Jesus. What would you like me to do, Jesus says. She says to him, Grant that these my two sons may sit one on your right hand, the other on the left in thy kingdom. Verse twenty-four and when the ten heard it they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You see, their expectation was that they would become rulers. This Jesus is going to Jesus is going to fulfill the dream of that we have always had, to, like Olivia said, to get rid of the Romans, put us in charge. This is how our life is going to be now. So they come to Jesus. Peter's like, yeah, now everything's going to be exactly how I wanted it. Now it's all going to come true. And then in Luke 2, twenty two uh, twenty-four, there was a strife among the disciples. Hey, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. You'll be the greatest. Right. Most, I've got all the scriptures. Uh, we're gonna, um, Sylvia. We're gonna move pretty fast through the verses, so they're gonna all be on the screen. Um, he not only believed that Jesus would fulfill his dream, but Peter starts to get the idea that Jesus needs him. That Jesus needs him. In fact, he says, "I will. I'm gonna fight for you." He says in Matthew 16:22. Peter took Jesus and began to <laughs> No, Jesus, this is not how it's going to go. That is not what's going to happen. Let me tell you. I'll solve this problem for you. Um in Matthew 26:35, Peter says, "Jesus, well, all the disciples they if everybody would um Peter, I'm sorry, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, I'll die for you. I will not deny thee. And then as soon as Peter said that, all the other disciples said, Yeah, that goes for me too. We're here for you, Jesus. So he believes Jesus will fulfill his dream. He believes Jesus needs him. And then if you turn it over, he believes that, now this is something, this is where most people go off track in their Christianity. So, I want you to get this. This is the, the biggest stumbling block for most people in following Jesus. Peter started to believe that it was his efforts that would make him accepted. If I do these things, I'm going to prove to Jesus how worthy of him that I am. Anybody ever fell into that mindset? Well, I will show Jesus, yes, I know I receive him by faith, but now I'm going to show him that he made a good choice when he picked me like I'm going to live up to it. That is a weight and a pressure that none of us can ever bear. Peter had these ideas and then you know many of you know what's going to happen just a few weeks later. It's all going to get pulled out from under him. So look at what he says in Matthew 17 and in verse number 4, Matthew 17:4, then answered Peter and, and said unto Jesus, this is this is when Peter, James and John were shown the mount of transfiguration. They were shown this amazing thing. Peter says uh, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. We're gonna do this right now, Jesus. And what does Jesus say about their plans? No. Not happening. In Matthew 26, 33, Jesus says, or Peter answered and said to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And there are other examples in Peter's life where he's the one, you know, he's going to take the sword. He's going, to take, he's going to solve the problem. He's going to do this. It's important for us to remember, even our identity as Christians, we are not accepted by God because of what we do. We are accepted by God because of what Jesus did. Now, if you grew up in a brand of Christianity, that was very works-intensive. Say your prayers, count your beads, go do this, do these things. Like many of you did, I understand that. But if you grew up in that mentality, it's very, very hard to divorce yourself from that concept that you are not accepted by God because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did. I'm saved because my faith is in what Jesus did, not in what I can do. Now, does that mean I don't, I just live however I want, I live a terrible life? No. I try to do those good things, not to prove anything to God, but just out of gratitude. Just to say, if you have done this for me, then yes, I yield my life to you. I will obey you. But I don't believe, we can't, biblically, we can't believe that those efforts then give us any extra standing with God. Otherwise, what's the point of Jesus and the cross? Why is the cross so extreme if really I could kind of save myself? That's the message of grace. That's the message of the gospel. It is not human effort. It's divine action. That's good news. It's not good news if you have to save yourself. It's good news if God did the saving and you just receive it. And that message is throughout the Bible. Well, so Peter had this very great construction of his life and who he was and how strong he would be, but that was a balsa wood construction. It would just crumble. So what is Peter's as the author puts it, what is Peter's what happens in Peter's splinterville moment? You tell me, when did it all those of you that have looked at these stories before, when did it all come crashing down for Peter? At what point in the story did this come crashing down for Peter?
1: the part me, he cuts the ear yeah. off the Jesus the garden
0: There are little moments throughout Peter's life, buck with Jesus that, that are like little crash moments. Right? Like, do you remember I just read recently Peter walking on the water? Right? And before and then he sank. Before you criticize, how many steps have you taken on the water? Right, I love that. But um, either way, he walks on the water, but he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks. There's another moment where Jesus has to tell him, Hey, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter, what you're saying is actually of the devil. There's all these little moments where Peter's, where we see a glimpse that this isn't going so well. Not everything is clicking. But then the big crescendo moment is definitely after the Last Supper, when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and then into the crucifixion. And God graciously, what's, what's amazing is God, Jesus knew all along Peter's problem. And I want you to take heart, and we need to take heart, if you are struggling or if you feel like you're failing as a Christian, etc., God knew when he saved you. He, God knew when you were born what journey what your story was going to be like. But he will work through that because he's gracious and he's loving. That's how he was with Peter. Peter's whole identity comes crashing down. In fact, he didn't save Jesus, did he? I won't let this happen, Jesus. He didn't. He certainly didn't save him. He said in John 13, look at verses 37 and 38, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow thee? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. John 18.10, In the moment, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. He smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. He says, I'm going to do it. Jesus stops him and he says, "This This is not the plan. What Peter thought he was going to do, all of Peter's value to Jesus comes undone. Then it's even worse. He denies Jesus. Matthew 26, 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Not only that, but Peter deserted his commitment to Jesus the scriptures that were on there, do you remember Jesus is taken away into the, the, the uh, chamber to be interrogated and Peter starts to follow from a distance, but then when people say, hey, weren't you one of those guys with Jesus? He's like, no way, not me, not me. Very interesting. And there's a moment in the story when Jesus is being let out, that he turns and he looks at Peter. And their eyes meet at that moment, when everything that Peter thought he would be just came crashing down. Now, we don't want to leave Peter there. We don't want to leave him there. After the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus is risen from the dead, he specifically, says, he specifically says to one of the first witnesses, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm risen. He wanted Peter to know that he wasn't finished with him. But sometimes when we're filled with, like, this is why Christianity can be, well, everything I described before about how easy it is to believe in Christ can also be very difficult for people. Because while it sounds easy to say that all you have to do is believe in Jesus in order to get to that point, what has to happen in a person's life? What, what has to happen in a person's life before they're even ready to truly believe in Jesus? They have to recognize their need. What does he mean by that? Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah.
1: Yeah, without Without hope.
0: Without hope. Right. It's so easy to believe in Jesus, but when you truly believe in Jesus, what you're saying is, there is nothing good enough in me to save myself. That's a statement of deep humility. And I think when people make what we're going to call false professions of faith, it's because they really Yes, they want Jesus, but it's more like, well, me and Jesus will kind of work together on this thing of my life. But true repentance is a total forsaking of my identity. Like, who I am is not good enough. But who I am is someone who is still, even though I'm not good enough, I am deeply loved. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, the gospel is such that you are more sinful and broken than you ever imagined but on the other hand you are more loved than you could ever imagine But many people stumble and they never make it into a relationship with Christ because they're not willing to let go of who they want to be Does that make sense so while faith is the easiest thing I've also said it's also the most difficult thing it's much easier to give somebody a list of religious expectations and say, as long as you can check off those boxes, you are good with God. As opposed to what Jesus says, is if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And so Peter learns that though. And now when he comes back to Jesus, he's a new person. He's gone through the low and now he experiences the complete restoration that Jesus can give him. So let's take this now And let's bring this home to us in our lives. And maybe we can be a little bit vulnerable as we talk about it. What about, in what ways are we similar to to Peter? Well, if you look at this number three, our our balsa wood identity. Identity is sourced from three things. Acceptance security and significance well let's give you a couple statements acceptance who accepts me and why security how am i held together what do i look for for stability if you answer those questions you'll find where your source of identity is who accepts me and why what is it that keeps me together keeps me stable And then significance, what most gives me validation or a sense of value? So where do we find them? People, performance, possessions, and purpose. So let's think about this for a minute. Let's think about acceptance. Give me some examples of people's identity, who accepts me and why. Let's bring that to 2024 in the lives that we live. How are we sometimes, how are people, basing their value, their identity on who accepts me and why. Can we have some examples of that? Yes, Gretchen. Um, yeah, exactly. Somebody very close in your life, what do, what do they say about me? Yeah. Now we need to be careful because does God also give us these things Sometimes it's a blessing in our lives. Yeah, of course, like a a close human companion. That's a wonderful gift of God, but it's not a solid place of acceptance. You can't put all that hope in a person because people change. People are susceptible to sin. People sadly can betray you. But thank God there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody else on that acceptance? Who, accept, what are, how, who accepts me and why? Mentors. Yeah, a mentor. Someone that you look up to. You need their validation. Could be in the. It could be a parent, right? And, and don't many people struggle through life because they never feel accepted by or validated by their parents? That's a theme in countless works of art, theater, television, and in, a, in many of our own human experiences. What else do people accept me and why?
1: People that you work with.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or the type of person that you consider yourself to be. If you are a hyper-political person, if you're a very political person, you will assume a group identity with that political group. If you are in certain education spheres or philosophically, ideology, do, are you accepted and those, so for instance, if all of your peers or all of your acceptance is like, you know, you belong to the young Democrats of America or the Republican youth movement, right? This is your group. What happens if you change? What happens to those relationships when you change your ideology? you laughed. (laughs) Yeah. They're done with you. Now that's just normal, because it was based on, you get it, right? Anybody else on this? Who accepts me and why? Okay, yeah, somebody up? Did I see somebody or no? In business, if you were successful. Oh, this is a tough one. That's a really tough one. I many of you know I work in the business world outside of the my ministry. And that's, it's true, like your value to the company is based on what you're able to produce. It's just a harsh reality. It's not even, it's not even necessarily wrong. And it's not even that the people I work with don't care about me, but, but they care about, the. the, I think that, well, I, I don't know, because I've had encounters with people that as a boss, sometimes I've had to let people go that don't. And you can care about somebody personally and want the best for their life, but they have to produce. Because there's a bottom line, that's, a, that's not a great place of acceptance, right? Talk about Just think about the professional sports world. That's the most brutal example of it, right? Our family, most of us all are, are, are Yankees fans. We inherited that from my grandparents in the Bronx who grew up there. And man, in Yankee Stadium, one day you are getting cheered. And just let those numbers slump for a week or so. And you, the same people that are cheering you are just booing you brutal but that's a it's similar we face that in our workplaces yeah anything else
1: um, this is kind of niche for students but our grades
0: your grades yeah. well i would think too though in like in college settings the ideology thing is very strong like the ideology like most colleges are of a certain a certain ideological persuasion and if you buck that trend see how accepted you are you've experienced that right all right what about the next one here Um, we look for in people performance possessions our purpose what about security what are some places where we are um, our security is people how am I held together what do we look for, for what are the kind of things we go to security for I would say the same with some of the people. We put a lot of security in those people that we already mentioned. Yep. Physical capabilities. Our physical capabilities. That's a good one. Well, you know, at least I can, if I get in trouble, I can dig myself out of the hole because I have this ability. I have this skill set. I have this. Yeah. Yep. Money. Money. Yeah. Health. Your health. Sure. So the point of this is like, you could look at this study like, boy, this is kind of depressing in some ways. Like, well, there's nothing in life that I can count on. You know, I'm in big trouble. Actually, it's hopeful because until you know Jesus, it's a wonder that people aren't in a permanent state of depression, fear, and anxiety. Completely. Because all of life is so fragile. We just go through getting used to it and we get numb to the constant pressure and danger around us, and we just function because we have no other choice. But when you lay your head on your pillow at night, in those moments of fear and terror that we all experience at some point in our lives, what do you have to say to go back to and be like, but I have this? The wonderful thing about Jesus is, even if the worst things happen in life, he is a constant. He is there. It's the hope. Yeah.
1: Beyond that, when you have that relationship against all of these other things that you have to be careful that you don't put too much security in or some of these other things we talk about, when you have a relationship with Jesus, then your relationship with your family should be a stronger relationship. Right. Or when there's conflict, there's, there's, there's conflict resolution right. that Jesus... Yes. And, and you can go right down each of these other things. Money's been mentioned. Jesus gives instruction with money. And so, certainly, because we still have a fleshly nature, people are going to have some security in a bank account. Right. But Jesus gives the instruction on how to deal with a bank account.
0: And that's a good... That's It's 100% valid. It's not that all of these things that we're talking about are evil. They're not evil. But they are weak foundations. They're not a, a place to put your trust. That's the point. Where is your trust for when those things don't work out? And it is true. Jesus, If you follow Jesus, all things being equal, your bank account might improve. Your relationship should improve. But it's not a guarantee. That's the important thing. Because Jesus does say sometimes you'll follow him and things could get harder. So, but yes, I have found it to be true in my life. If you follow the principles, yes, you're better in your relationships, you're better in your money, you're better in all these things. You just have to, it's just this like constant reordering of priorities in the mind though. Okay, thank you Jesus for helping me with this, but I'm not trusting in it. I'm trusting in you. It's like a constant self-correction or Holy Spirit correction of where our hope is, where our trust is. Does somebody else have something I miss a hand? okay
1: well proverbs
0: says
1: put your confidence in god not man right and then
0: just sums it up perfectly. Yeah. yeah donna's like series over close yeah. the book yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know yeah. Yeah. just let's move on but you're right though yeah 100 percent. right in here as you said exactly exactly okay so acceptance security and then what about significance I mean, I think we've—it's pretty much all the same things. I'm valuable because these people, you know, these these are the the cool people think I'm cool, right? It goes back to high school. If the cool people think I'm cool, but that just morphs into different parts of life. Or I have enough money that I have more money than somebody else. That makes me significant. We all want these these. That's what the disciples said. Who's going to be on the right hand and the left hand, right? So the source—it could be. Um, It could be people, I am who affirms me. Performance, I am what I do well. Possessions, I am what I own. Purpose, I am what I desire or what I dream. Or what I dream. This is funny. There's a, an, another author that he quotes named John Mark Comer, and he writes, wrote the book Believe No Lies. He gives this illustration. This is how our world operates, identity. Imagine the grocery store checkout. On the one side, you have magazines of perfectly sculpted celebrities and models. We want to look like that. But on the other side of the checkout aisles are shelves of candy and magazines about delicious foods. Both can be true to my identity. I like Reese's and I want to be in shape. Which is my truest identity? Both at times feel necessary to some part of who I am. This is the rub of pursuing our dreams and our desires. The world says, do you want to find yourself? Follow your heart. Follow your passions. But what happens when, you're, when your passions are conflicting? When they're pulling you to opposite results? The world has all kinds of identity factors. race, ethnicity, religion, moral performance, gender, sexual orientation, wealth and possessions, power, love and romance, past abuse, failure and regrets. Some people wrap their whole identity in and bad things that have happened to them, not just the good things. Social media and fake identities, generational identity, age, your function, your abilities, relationships, friendships, occupations, careers, personality. Those are all true markers of identity to some degree, but they are not the sum total of who we are, and they are insufficient. We can only be found in Christ only in Christ. So I'd like you to just take a look at this, this first discussion question as we wrap up. We don't don't need to do this one out loud necessarily, but ask yourself the question and maybe look at this in your own life and really examine yourself. What part of Peter's story do you see in your own? How does this hit you the most personally? And then these are, I mean, we've pretty much discussed this as we've gone through. Jesus was breaking or revealing Peter's weak identity structures. It was actually helping him. Isn't that interesting? Like the hard, the, the failure that, G, that Peter's going through was actually a gracious work of God in his life. Because how much worse would it have been if, if God just let Peter go on his own way? That's another proverb. The proverbs are filled with identity. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And now we go back to Habakkuk. Yep. One of the
1: things too about Peter's life is the end of the Gospel of John is when Peter's gone back to fishing. Hmm. And uh, Jesus has appeared to the disciples three times now, and he had already told them what they were going to do. But Peter still has to get his identity squared away. And uh, that's, of course, when Jesus asked him three times if Peter loved him. Right. And he said, Feed my sheep. And he asked him again, and he asked him again. And then, ironically, Peter turned, What about John? How about him? Yeah. And. Uh, Jesus said, Peter, just worry about yourself and I'll worry about John. Yeah, it's good. So I guess my point is, yeah, he denied he denied Jesus. Jesus was breaking that part of him, but there was a whole process still to take place that Peter had experienced.
0: Right. So let's read that opening passage once more, and now let's have a the final comments on how this speaks to you now, after everything we've said. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my strained instruments. Anybody would just like to give a closing statement or testimony on how the Lord encouraged them with this tonight? Anybody at all as we wrap up final thought? Yep.
1: It, it seemed that um, they put a lot of their stake and who they were as a nation and what they could do with fields and crops and all of that. And despite it being uh, non-fruitful and uh, to some degree poignant at that time because nothing was happening, they still worked it
0: well. Yeah. For me, I come away with a question with this passage, personally, just to give you my, how this speaks to me. I come away with a question, and that is: how would I respond if all the things I work really hard on don't work out? Because right? I work hard on a lot of things, and a lot of them work, some of them don't, but what if everything that I was working really hard on, I work hard to help the company I work for, I work hard to establish my, my family financially, I work hard to see this church thrive, those are probably the three big areas of my life, my job, well, my family first, obviously, my family, the church, my job, like I want to see those spheres do really well, but what if it doesn't work, <laughs> right, how will I respond? And that's been something God's been working in my heart, even this whole year, is just, are you okay with that? Because you have me. And that's, I don't know if I'll ever know. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a constant, like, thing the Lord's got to do. Seth? Yeah. Right, because it's his story; it's not my story, and I don't know exactly the part that I'm supposed to play in the story. And actually, if you read the book that the author wrote, he he tells that struggle in his own life about getting cancer, and then going to a church that, when he got there, he found out they were like a couple months away from bankruptcy, and like just it's and it makes me think, well, how would I do in those situations? Anybody else? That final thoughts or something to share? Yeah. For example, um, someone could have told Peter, "They like, yeah, you be
1: totally punked out, but don't worry, God's going to use this to prove to other people that He won't punk out on them."
0: Right. He didn't know that at the moment, though. Right. And punk out—is that King James version or is that (laughs) a different (laughs) translation? I'm not sure which one. I've not seen that one yet. The New King James, James? yeah. (laughs) Neo. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, Yeah, good good thought. Anybody else? We wrap up.
1: Well, what comes to mind is when we are made weak, he is strong.
0: Yeah, Paul's writings are filled with this.
1: Yeah. Right. And he's waiting for you to come to him.
0: It doesn't sound fun, but it sounds good.
1: And you will rejoice.
0: Right. Anything else?
1: This makes me think of John 3.30 when it says he must increase and I must decrease. The more our self and our identity and what we do and our efforts
0: decreases, the more that his, our identity, and him increases. Yeah, our, our accomplishments have an inverse relationship with the glory of Jesus, right? The more we come down, Jesus is magnified. So really good I just want to encourage you if you're here tonight and you're you say you know this is really interesting and I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus I don't like you talk about Jesus being everything and receiving him by faith I'm just not sure well we'd love to help you know for sure that you can be forgiven I'd love to uh, have a short conversation or give you a book that you can read and point you to some scriptures if there's any doubt in your mind really you can do one of two things come speak to me after the service or we have these we have these connection cards and you can simply fill out the little thing on the on here that says i have questions about the bible faith god or jesus and if you fill one of these out somebody'll discreetly contact you and privately point you in the direction of how you can know more about jesus and these we collect and for multiple spiritual decisions or prayer requests. You can just put those in the offering box on the way in or the way out. But knowing Jesus is the most important thing in all of life. So we try to encourage people to, or we always encourage people, to make sure that they're believers, that they know Christ as their Savior. Well, let's close in prayer, and then we'll update our prayer list. Lord, thank you so much for the time we've had tonight and just this great conversation with these brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to make you our number one source of security, acceptance, and joy, and value, and worth. But we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well- we are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message... If you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgreylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.